This morning in our journey, as we look into the Father heart of God, I want to invite you with me to consider how God's Father heart longs for us to be free from shame. I wonder, perhaps for many of us, we're perhaps far more familiar with the word, or maybe even more comfortable with the word guilt than we are with the word shame. Now, if we break the law, say by speeding, for example, we get a fine, don't we? And uh, we are um, required to attend a driving awareness course. I won't ask you to put up your hand if you've had to do that. But we're declared guilty by the law, aren't we? We receive our punishment, we have to pay £100, or whatever it is, and then we're free. But are we? Because despite knowing we're forgiven, so often shame lingers in the shadows of our lives, doesn't it? Shame's that feeling that moves from, I did something wrong, to I must be intrinsically bad. There must be something wrong with me. And shame tends to linger or can linger even when forgiveness has been found. One author puts it like this. Shame is life-dominating and stubborn. Once entrenched in your heart and mind, it's like a squatter that refuses to leave. Now, a driving fine um, example probably wasn't the best one, was it really? We, We don't tend to dwell on that kind of misdemeanor for too long. But the truth is, I imagine, and I know from my own experience, that we all carry things within us that we've done or perhaps that have happened to us. And because of shame, we hide in the shadows. Well, today, (laughs) we're going to look at the story of Jesus' encounter with the woman, the woman at the well in John 4. And she's a woman who discovered that she no longer had to hide in shame anymore when she met Jesus. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. I'm sure most of us here know it really well, but it's a brilliant story, and I'm really looking forward to looking at it this morning. But before we read the story, I want to remind us of what John says a bit earlier, well, right at the beginning of his gospel, because John very clearly at the beginning of his gospel sets out, without a doubt, who Jesus is. He says, you'll know the words well, Jesus is the word of God. He was with God in the beginning. And here's the crunch point that John wants us to grasp. He is God. The word has become flesh, John tells us, and made his dwelling among us. So in other words, when we look at Jesus, when we read stories like the one we're going to look at uh, this morning, we discover what God is like. We discover the Father heart of God. That's been our theme, as I'm sure you're well aware, over recent weeks now. So as we see what touches Jesus' heart in these stories, as we read about how Jesus responds and relates to people, as we see Jesus' love and we see Jesus' compassion, we are discovering the Father heart of God himself. When Philip asked Jesus to show him the Father, Jesus responded, If you've seen me then you've seen the Father. There's one more thing I just want to point out before we get into our story, that John also says again at the beginning of his gospel, in him was light, in Jesus was light. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, John tells us, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, shame, the subject we're looking at this morning, it hides and it grows in darkness. 
where it's not spoken about, where it's hidden. Well, we're going to discover this morning, I'm telling you the end before we get there, but we're going to discover how Jesus' light shines even into the darkest places and he shows us there's no reason to hide, no reason to hide from his love. What a brilliant story. I could stop there, but I won't. There's lots more to find out. So I'm going to read to you John chapter 4, just the first part to begin with. John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn and look at the story with me. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Shame sends us into hiding. Jesus is tired from traveling. He's waiting by a well for his disciples to return from a trip to the nearby market. They've gone to get some food. It's the middle of the day. It's hot from the midday sun. Now, normally, women would uh, come to the well in groups, uh, either at the beginning of the day or the end of the day when the sun was low, when it was much cooler. It was a time for the women to chat together, to catch up on news, to see one another. But as Jesus sits there in the middle of the day, a woman comes to the draw water. And she comes, John tells us, alone. Even in the heat and the brightness of that day, this woman is hiding. Hiding from the glares and the stares and the gossip of the other women. Hiding from the implications of the life that she's led. And hiding from all the possible reminders of that life. And then she meets Jesus. Immediately, Jesus speaks to her. Now, the Samaritan woman knows the significance of this, maybe more than we would. Firstly, because she's a woman. And if that wasn't enough um, in that culture to breed shame, she is secondly a Samaritan as well. And Jews hated and despised, they looked down at uh, Samaritans, John uh, tells us that. So why would a man speak to her, a woman and a Samaritan, and even more, be willing to give her a drink, uh, to ask her for a drink from a, a jug that she, a Samaritan woman, had been holding? 
Well, Jesus speaks to her, doesn't he, about something that they both have in common. He talks to them, to her about water. It's a hot, it's a dry day. And they both know that water is essential for them to life. And so Jesus speaks to her and he asks her to do something for him. He asks her for a drink because he's thirsty. What a reminder that John slips in there that we have a Jesus who has taken on our humanity. Well, within moments of the story, we discover that it's uh, Jesus who wants to do something for the woman, isn't it? Not the woman for him. There's a deep thirst within this woman's life that she hasn't yet realized, that she hasn't perhaps yet admitted to. And Jesus wants to talk to her actually about that. The busyness of life can prevent all of us, can't it, from being aware of that deeper need within us. Perhaps it helps us in the busyness to run away from thinking about that deeper thirst that we all have. We can fill our time, can't we, with noise and action and life. We can be constantly on the move, constantly doing things, running on to the next thing we've got in our diaries. And it can be, for some of us, a way of hiding from that deeper stuff. We might avoid people or avoid getting too close to people, finding ways to do life that avoids reminding us of that thing we're trying to hide. Like the woman at the well in the heat of the day, we can bury that deep longing in our soul for freedom, that thirst that we have, we can push it down. We don't want to see it there. This desire to hide This inner belief that perhaps we're not good enough, that shame tells us that we have in some way failed or perhaps are a failure, that we keep pushing down and hiding. We hide it not only from ourselves, from others, but from God. Well, that hiding has its roots way back in Genesis, way back in the creation story. Genesis 2.22 tells us this, before sin entered the world, that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they lived in freedom with God, in a beautiful, unbroken relationship with God, where there was no word, no understanding, no experience of guilt or shame. What an amazing experience that must have been. But then we read Genesis chapter 3, and the relationship is broken by sin. I want to just read the words out to you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So listen to this. They sewed fig trees together and made coverings. They covered themselves up as best they could. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to them, to the man, where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Adam and Eve discover that not just guilt, but shame has moved in, made itself at home with them. And in order to deal with that guilt and that shame, they tried to hide from God. They tried to to hide in fear of what God might think of them. So they make fig leaves and they try to hide. And shame, sadly, 
has been doing the same thing ever since, hasn't it? Telling us that we need to hide from God, that he is one to be, a, to be fearful of, to be afraid of, and to be avoided. I wonder, does this resonate with any of you this morning? There are things that we feel shame over, aren't there? Decisions that we made in the past that we now regret, things that we've done. Things that can't be erased, that leave us feeling perhaps unworthy or unlovable or like God isn't pleased with us. But there are also other experiences that, that can feel us leaving ashamed because of things that have been done to us as well. Things that never should have happened to us leave us feeling shame. And just like Adam and Eve, we end up, instead of knowing we're welcomed and loved by God, we end up full of fear, we try to hide well, sounds very grim, but there's good news coming. Because Jesus shows us that shame, when it's uncovered, brings us freedom. So I want to return to the passage again in John chapter 4 and read just a couple more verses. In John chapter 4, four verses 15 and 16, uh, it goes on after Jesus has spoken of this water, this living water. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I, don't, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. So the woman, still on the kind of level of, um, of avoiding things, thinks that by receiving uh, the water that Jesus is offering to her, she won't ever have to come back to the well again. So she'll be able to still hide and not risk being able to see, having to see anybody. She can remain in her hiding. But then Jesus asks her that question, doesn't he? Bring your husband. Let me meet your husband before I give you this water. She doesn't lie, does she? Kind of half-truth, I guess. Well, why would she want to share her private life with this man? But Jesus, this is Jesus, the light of the world, John has told us. He starts to shine his torch. He starts to shine his light into her life. He's not trying to expose her. He wants to free her. He wants to free her. It's a, not a name and shame. That's a, a phrase we know, isn't it? That's what our culture's brilliant at, isn't it? No, that's not what Jesus is doing. This is a one-to-one conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. So out of earshot of anybody else, just him and her. And there's no condemnation as Jesus speaks to her. There's no judgment. He's not taking any delight in revealing or encouraging her to reveal the heart that's there. No, he's leading her. He's leading her into light. He's offering her a way out of that hiding that is crushing her and ruining her life. So he reveals who he is. Let's read on in the story. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Well, our our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit. 
and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Do you see the tenderness with which Jesus meets this hurting woman? She's starting to wonder as he talks to her who he might be. She thinks he might possibly be a prophet or maybe even the Messiah. But what she realizes, too, is that there's a massive disagreement between the Jews and the Samaritans about worship. And so she, testing out his credentials, wants to ask him about this subject, this thing that separates uh, the two so much. She's not, I don't think, trying to avoid his gaze, or she possibly could be. But I think she's trying to explore who this man is that knows so much about her. But of course, Jesus, again, he... He uses this opportunity to shine his light into her hiding with the truth of what he offers. He says a time is coming, in fact it's here right now, where true worship will no longer be about a place. We won't be disagreeing about that anymore because it will be about a person. And that person is standing right before you now. Jesus is truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. And he talks about God being spirit. So we can't relate to God as a spirit but God has chosen to make himself known to us. By taking on flesh, Jesus has shown us the Father, and so we can worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus here is speaking about an intimate Father. He's revealing to this woman that God is her Father, an intimate Father, not a remote God who's far away, judging and condemning He's speaking about the heart of a God who longs to come close to her, who speaks the truth, but who wants to mend that broken relationship with his creation. So Jesus, the light of the world, shone his light into the darkness of sin and shame. Jesus, the living water, as he calls himself, has poured living water into the barrenness of our souls. And Jesus, the truth, speaks truth into those lies, those lies that say you'll never be good enough, those lies that say you're not worthy, those lies that say if only people knew about you, they wouldn't like you, those lies that say you're unlovable or unforgivable, those lies that tell you you're too broken to be fixed. And all this is possible because Jesus is on his way to the cross. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus took our shame when he hung on the cross. Isaiah says that he was despised and rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. That's how we treated Jesus. Jesus had nothing to be ashamed of. He was the Lamb of God, the Son of God. Yet he faced such humiliation. He took on our shame so that we could be free from it. And Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that God made him 
who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. He took on our guilt. He took on our shame so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A new cover will come onto. Jesus endured our shame so that we could receive his righteousness. We can approach God as our friend, as our father, not as our enemy, not as one to be afraid of or fearful of. We could be free, as we heard the other week, from condemnation, free from shame, walking in God's love now. This is an amazing picture. The woman at the well, she discovers this freedom in Jesus. This morning, do you need to hear the truth that you are God's child? You are his beloved. He loves you. The Father heart of God loves, has such love for you this morning, such love that he allowed his only son to go to the cross and take away that shame that you hide from him because he loves you. And finally, in Jesus, we find that we actually have a safe place to hide. The woman at the well has a new title now. She's the woman who encounters Jesus. And her encounter with Jesus resulted in her running to the people that she'd avoided Um, before and now she's saying to them come and meet the man who's told me everything I ever did now she's the woman that spent her life not wanting them to know about everything she ever did and now she's met this man that's told her everything and she wants to tell the world about him because what's happened her shame is now uncovered and she's found freedom She's found freedom. What a transformation in this woman who's met Jesus. Because when we encounter Jesus, we find transformation. Meeting Jesus is transformational. It should be. Why? Because in Jesus, we find this amazing love and amazing grace of our Father. And you know, this love that God offers to us, it's not conditional on how we behave It's not conditional on how we live now or how we lived in the past. We don't have to have a squeaky clean past to come before God. We don't have to be perfect. Well, we can't be, can we? God's not expecting that because of Jesus. You know what? This morning, the Father longs to remove that covering of sin and shame that you have. He longs to lift that heaviness and that weight that you might be carrying But you know, he invites you to be honest with him, to talk to him, be open, be vulnerable. This isn't an invitation to share with the church. This is an invitation from Jesus to you. Don't run away. Don't run and hide. That only increases our fear of rejection, doesn't it? That's what happens. We put all our energy into hiding, into managing that darkness within within us. But God longs for us to experience his forgiveness. He longs for us to experience his freedom. Just like the woman whose whole life was changed. She found freedom from shame because she found Jesus. We can find that freedom too. If we're brave enough to talk to him. You know, God the Father reverses the enemy's use of shame. The enemy, um, Satan, he wants our shame to drive us away from God. That's why he pushes it down and thinks that we can't talk about it. We can't approach God. 
because the enemy doesn't want us to get close to God. But God, in contrast, is inviting us to run to him for cover. I want to finish by going back to Genesis, if that's okay. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 says this. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them. Even though Adam and Eve had sinned, and they were fearful of how God would respond to what they'd have done, they clothed themselves, didn't they, in fig leaves. But God, God did more than that. He killed an animal. He must have done for there to be a skin. He killed an animal, and he used that skin provide clothing for Adam and Eve because he loved them so much. But you know, right there in Genesis, right back at the beginning of the Bible, is a beautiful picture of what God is, was going to do in Jesus. In Jesus, we see the ultimate sacrifice, the one who was killed to cover our sin, to cover our shame. God was willing to pay the ultimate price make the ultimate sacrifice to deal with our sin and our shame so why would he why would he turn our back on what we carry why would he turn his back on us an animal was killed to cover their shame points to the amazing sacrifice of jesus killed to cover our shame forever no we have a choice this morning we have a choice don't we we can keep hiding we can keep running away and keep finding fig leaves to, to cover us. To try and hide from God. Or we can accept that beautiful, complete covering in Jesus. It's wonderful news, isn't it? Wonderful, wonderful news. The woman at the well knew what it meant to have her shame uncovered. She knew what it meant to find freedom. That's my prayer for us this morning, that we would find that freedom today. So would you bow your heads with me as we close? Realize it's been a, an, a difficult subject, perhaps for some, perhaps for many of us. We all have things that we wrestle with in our lives. Shame's the deep awareness that if certain things about ourselves were known, then we would certainly be rejected. That's what shame tells us. And this fear, it ends up creating a barrier between us and other people, and between us and God. And for many of us, we perhaps realize that our shame is what begins to define us, not God. But I want you to hear this morning that that is not what defines us in the eyes of God. That's not how God sees you. You know, when God looks at you, he doesn't look through the lens of your failure of my failure. He looks through the lens of his great love for you and for me. Brothers and sisters, family, Jesus longs to meet with you this morning. And he longs, like he did with the woman at the well, to invite you to encounter his loving gaze. Why not, as you feel Jesus looking at you with tenderness this morning, 
bring out that shame into the light of his love. Let it lose its hold as God, as Jesus brings his love, his light, as he pours on his living water. Let it lose its hold. Instead of rejection or fear, receive that acceptance, receive that embrace. This is just between you and Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that because of the cross, our shame and our guilt has been dealt with, and we can come to you this morning without fear. We pray, would you cover us again with your blood this morning? May we know again that we can hide in the safety and the shelter of your wing, without fear, without rejection. And you long, you long for us to come. You long to deal with those things that we've hidden for years, maybe. That shame that has defined us, that shame that has stopped us from being real and honest with you. That shame that has made us think that we're not loved by you. Thank you, Lord, that your light comes not to judge, not to condemn, but to bring your freedom, your peace, and your wholeness. Minister to us, we now, now we pray as we wait on you. What a friend, what a friend we found in Jesus. Amen.